Thank you. My name is Sally. I'm member of Al-Anon. Hi, Sally. And I want to thank the committee for thank you for the rebuttal time. I want to thank Nancy for hospitality. That I, but uh, you heard Keith, I'm sure, this afternoon. And, yeah. <laughs> the high spot. Uh, but I'm just your garden type Al-Anon. I'm not uh, complicated. I the issues or boundaries or my relationship problems. I was an Al-Anon who he drank and I reacted. <laughs> and that's about the size of it. Um, when I came into Al-Anon, now and on, and today there are, and they have different different problems, I guess. But it, it's kind of hard for me sometimes. But um, I didn't know anything about alcohol or drinking or anything. But uh, in Oklahoma, it was a dry state. We moved to Bakersfield, and that's where I met him. And uh, he drank from the very first time that that I knew. But he was so funny and so cute, and had good ideas and. You know, he was, he was just fun. We had a lot of fun behind drinking. Um, I didn't have any idea what I was in for because I thought that uh, somebody who drank too much was like his Uncle Frank who fell in the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. And anyway, if he ever got that bad, well, I would do. But he drank and we, we had a lot of fun behind drinking. We went up to San Jose to go to school and he had two children while he was in school. And, uh, you know, he'd go to fraternity parties and he wouldn't come home from the trip. But it wasn't any big problem, really, because I knew as soon as he got out of school that he would sit down living and he wouldn't do those kind of things. And that's kind of boys will be boys and, and uh, college type behavior. And I was really living in denial is what I was doing because it was pretty obvious that he had a drinking problem, but I just, uh, he continued to drink and... Uh, he graduated from San Jose and said, well, when we left Bakersfield, it seemed to me that the people that tie into the bar still must have followed us up there. <laughs> and then the people from San Jose went to San Jose and, uh, you know, by now I'm getting kind of frustrated. <laughs> and I'm beginning to become, become that person. We were in San Francisco and then he came and he told me we were going to move to, we'd be away from those people. I don't know. And we drank our way across Canada literally from there. And then our daughter was old enough to start school, so I wanted to two children and I came back at Christmas as soon as he closed this big building mausoleum. And, uh, so the children and I went back to Bakersfield and, uh, then he came home at Christmas time and then we bought a little house in Bakersfield. Now when I came to Al-Anon, I had a picture in my mind what our life would be like. We would live in a little tree-covered street in the Midwest. Keith was born and raised in Bakersfield. and never had any desire to leave. But my idea of a, of a home was a little white house with white people. And I had this picture that he would be in this big old stuffed chair, you know, with me and Irish setter this side smoking a pipe. He didn't smoke the beat. <laughs> and I would be in the kitchen with Priscilla Curtis, and the children would be held at his feet clean. He'd be chair of the athletic department. I'd be chair of the athletic and that was my that was my picture that I brought to Alamon. So she told her, my sponsor told me that was a picture for normal people. And normal is a gauge on my dishwasher and I should never have it. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me I had to break that picture because it would never be mine. Well, it's the way he was drinking, it wasn't for a long time. But we uh we were in Bakersfield and we bought this little house and it wasn't really 
the house in the picture, but what the heck, I knew that I could whip it in. I read a book, and this book said that it's his job to mow the lawn. <laughs> uh, Keith and I'll be married 53 years, and Jane read that book. <laughs> and uh, so he bought this old house in East Bakersfield. Well, somewhere along the line, I confused cleanliness with purpose, I guess, because I became the clean machine. And I really did scrub the baseboards with a king to refrigerator with a Q-tip. I washed the soap. <laughs> I, I was clean. I was hooked on the smell of Hexol and Turex. I would clean my house every morning. That then, then I would go out and I'd mow the lawn. Now, it was hot in Bakersfield. Uh, I would, it never occurred to me to go out in the morning when it was nice and cool. I'd wait to hide the moon. But you know, I didn't know then that I had a motive, and I know this. So I'd take my lawnmower out at noon, and I would be down. And all the time I'm doing that, I know poor little thing. <laughs> he's out there mowing his lawn, he's out the world of the Now they can say it to each other to themselves, but don't say it to me. Don't ever tell me that, that you, you make me feel like it's my fault, and I'm doing everything I can do to keep him from drinking. So that was my motive, to make him feel good. He couldn't see the lawn, he couldn't see the driveway, much less the lawn. And Keith was not a traveling drunk. I would come into the driveway and I was at my... Yeah, it was like 20 questions because he... I was telling the bartender to tell him to come. And um, so I would ask him where he'd been, he'd tell me. He'd been to the pots or that out. And then I came up with that profound statement, the one that took me all day to come up with, I you've been drinking. <laughs> and Keith was very honest. He said, yeah, I've had a couple, so what? Well, when he said, so what, it was as if it was in chair. And I'd stand in my talking position, the one that gives us all that authority. And uh, I'd tell him, so what, that on and on. And when I got all through with my spiel, I would tell him the thing that I knew most, and it was the tackiest thing that I could when he when I said that he knew that I was sort of sleep. <laughs> and I'd go to bed and I'd lay there with those feelings that would come in back. Because I had said things to him that was terrible. I'd called him terrible names. But I would think, I wonder if the kids But I would convince myself that the kids eat. And that's the disease of alcoholism. The home with alcoholism in it. And sometimes those sounds are people I think the worst sound at all is, is dead silence. And I would get up and I would make this. And my children never knew what I was going to be like in the morning. They knew what Keith was going to do. You know, and he was a happy-go-lucky drunk, and they loved him when he was drinking. But I uh, gauged everything on his drinking. So I'd get up in the mornings, and maybe this morning I don't eat on Rebecca the Beaver and Father Knows Best. I'd be all starched and perfect. And maybe I'd be screaming and yelling at the top of my voice. You know, or maybe I just wouldn't be saying, I'd be slamming cupboard doors and it's clear. You know, don't tell her there's no milk on the table, just keep the cereal dry, but don't get her started. Because <laughs> once she got me started, I was off and running. And that's why those little kids went to school every morning and I thought that I was right and he was wrong. Simply because he drank. He told me once I was no fun to drink with, I didn't like it, and it looked like a snow cone. <laughs> that's true, I like that little monkey. <laughs> sword and all those things. But um, Keith was just a happy-go-lucky drunk. He was not a physically abusive person. If he was, if he ever hit me. But um, that was my day. He would come home, we would fight, we would argue. And uh, we moved down to Crespi in San Feliciano into the house in the picture that lived with us. By now we had three children. And our daughter, 
just, it just progressed. The disease of alcoholism progressed very one day, and I decided that I was going to get a job, and I was going to make money. I went into a factory. Now, I noticed I got this job. I was sitting at a long table single, and that was all I could handle because if you talked to me, I was... So I was at this job one day, and he called me, and he told me he'd called AA. Now, I'd prayed probably that morning or the night before he died, just let him do anything, quit drinking, but anything you want me to do. And I didn't know anything about AA, but I went home, and this man was making a 12-step call on him, and I had made this scrapbook over the years, meaning I could copy off of the radio and this scrapbook. I even had a letter from the Health and Welfare Department about the pills. Had the ethnic backgrounds and Swedes, and the man didn't tell him any of this. He didn't even tell him he had to clean out the garage or mow the lawn. <laughs> and I pointed it out to Bob. I told him the next time he went out to do this 12-step work that he should take this book and then go by. And he did what alcoholics have continued to do for me for like He put his arm around me and he said, "Okay," and he did. He came and he said, "And I'll have a lady call you." Well, she. And she was sure pushy. <laughs> she thought that I was going to jump up that night and go to an album on meeting. Well, I couldn't go. I had something important to do. I hadn't done anything unimportant. But uh, anyway, I convinced her that I would go the next night. So the next night I got all dressed up, which was something unusual for me because, you see, I was the victim. And um, when you're the victim, you have to dress like the victim. You wear your basic black pitiful, and you kind of slouch, and you kind of shuffle. And, but this night I got all dressed up because I was going to go to Al-Anon. They were going to ask me how I got my husband sober and I was going to tell him. And this was on Thursday night. And uh, by Sunday we'd be in a higher income bracket and he'd mow the lawn, we'd go on a picnic and everything would be wonderful. <laughs> well, I walked into that Al-Anon meeting at Shadow Ranch in Canoga Park on Thursday, July 21st, 1967. And I found everything that I was looking for in five minutes. And that's what you can do if you're new to Al-Anon or AA. Because I looked around and I saw people who weren't dressed up. And I saw people who weren't even married to alcoholics. And I found everything that was different. And if you know, if, you're, if that's what you're looking for, that's what you'll find. And I uh, made a decision and I'd stay for the little hour and a half meeting. And then I would go home and Keith would be at his second meeting that night, and he's a college graduate, he should be able to latch on to that, certainly that quick, and uh, then we just, they could go on a happy road of destiny, but I left that meeting, and as I started to leave, I looked down on the literature table, and at that time we had a comic book, and it was called Jane's Husband Drinks Too Much, well, I was so sorry for Jane, because my husband's sober two days in a row, <laughs> and, uh, had I had the feeling that night, that first night that I got two years later when I looked at that comic book cover, I would have never gone back to Alamon because the cover on that book is Jane standing at the window with a baby in her arms and a child on each side. And I know what those kids are saying to her, Mother Maya, will you help me, please? And I know what her answer is. I'm busy. Don't bother me. And I stood at that window many, many nights, and my children would ask me things, and I couldn't be bothered. I was busy. I was obsessed with Keith String. I was more obsessed with alcohol than he was. So I looked at that comic book and I just gave it a wide berth because I thought, well, that's why they talk in those little phrases. And this is in the 60s and back combing and hairspray and things. 
And I thought, if I don't behave myself, these old broads will hit me with their hair. <laughs> and they patted me a lot and kept saying, are you okay, honey? They didn't ask me how I suffered. They didn't ask me how I got to go to AA, anything. They just said, like, little kindergarten phrases, like, let go and let God, and keep coming back. And those little slogans that I learned to love, that I hated then. I left there, and I told them I thought it was nice, and I'd be back. Never intending to set foot in another hour. Not meeting. And, uh, but, um, anyway. So Keith now is going to AA. Now he does AA just like he lived life, just like he drank with a lot of enthusiasm and 100%. And, uh, he was going to meetings morning, noon, and night. And I didn't understand why if the meeting didn't start till 8, why he had to leave at 6.30 and he was over at 10, why he didn't get home till midnight. I didn't know anything about the fellowship. I didn't know that those meetings, those rides to and from me were as important as the sharing in the meeting. And I resented it, and I began to resent Alcoholics Anonymous, I began to resent sobriety, and I hated his sponsor. He seemed to me everything that I wanted him to do, he'd say, well, Clancy says. He seemed to me it was always opposite of what I wanted. <laughs> and I, I be, so I started deciding to go to AA meetings with him because I looked around the room, and there were a lot of beautiful women in AA, and I began to resent them, and I thought, that's why he goes. Because they drank in bars, he drank in bars, they had things to talk about, and now they still have things to talk about. And so I resented the women in AA. So I decided I was going to compete with them. I was going to get so glamorous that Keith would stay home. It never occurred to me that he drank every day, he needed to go to me. But I went down and I had my hair frosted. I didn't know he had anything to it, I thought he just had it frosted. And, uh, so he came one day and he said, I'm going to go up to Tehachapi to the anniversary up there and somebody's going to pick me up. Well, he was right. She drove up in our driveway in her long black car. Remember the old Loretta Young shows where she used to swoop through the door? Well, now this lady might look like Don Zilla for all I know, but <laughs> where my self-esteem was that day, she looked like Rachel Welch and Sharon Stone. And she swept into our living room and she said, oh, Keith. <laughs> now I'm standing in my kitchen in my all-your-fault robe. <laughs> That's the little chenille numbers that have little bare spots on where you pick the chenille off while you're looking out the window. Tied to something that never belonged to that garment. Chocolate on it. Chlorine holes. Cigarette burns. Kleenex coming out of the pocket. And those rubber go-aheads that we used to wear with unkept frosted hair. I'm standing in the kitchen. She says, Okay. Oh, now, what was her name? <laughs> and I thought, You're going to know my name, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I had instant recall of what they said in that meeting about having two programs and each one was doing our own thing. So that's why I know that if you have one minute and hour on our AA, you have something to share because I don't, I didn't listen to what they were saying, but it got in there. And I, you know, we get what we need exactly when we're supposed to have it. And the next day, Keith got a call for a 12-step call, and the man said, did your wife put Alan on? And I said, sure, let me go tell his wife about Alan on. And I went, and I just parroted what I heard in that meeting, and Valerie started Alan on, and she's still going. So, you know, you can share no matter how much time or how little time you have. And Keith was in AA, and I was in Alan on, and things were going well. And as I said, we had three children. Now, our kids are... Just kids, really. They were just, uh, our daughter 
if he said, we didn't know she had a problem because she was one of these perfect kids. She was kind of a teacher when she said, having him in my class is like having a ray of sunshine. And that's so true because she is a ray of sunshine. And uh, she graduated from school and she went back to Kansas City to work for TWA as a hostess. And this is in the East gained a pound, which she did, they sent her home. When she came home, the love of her life had moved in with her. And I don't know if that was Tim's breaking point. I don't know what happened. I don't know when she drank. I don't know how much she drank. I just know that she started drinking and eating. Then she decided she was going to go away with Joe. Joe was not somebody you'd bring home to mom and dad. (laughs) And she moved in with Joe, and she was there about a week. And we got that call, that call that you know you think you're going to get. 5.30 in the morning. And they said, we have your daughter here, we think. And it truly was her. And she had been in an accident. And her face, which is her fortune, because she'd been in. And she was in intensive care. And uh, she was in the hospital then for another three months. And when she got out, I thought, well, now this is her bottom. But no, it wasn't. For the next 17 years, Kim was in and out of it. Then she married a guy from... ABC and they moved to Montana, Pony, Montana. And that's where she found her program in Pony, Montana, a town of 60 people. And, uh, then our older son, Keith. Keith, uh, I don't think he's ours because he's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he uses his seat belt, he shines his shoes, he tells the truth. <laughs> he's just a good kid. And when he got out of school, he uh, he wanted to go around the world, around the United States. So we bought him a van, and he drove around the, the United States, and he stopped in the state of Washington, and he became a fisherman. And he met, he was on a, on a boat up in Alaska, and he met a little girl up there from Taft, California. And he called me, and he said, Mom, Annie and I want to come home and get married. Now, here was a kid that wouldn't have brought his friends home for cookies after school. Not because he was afraid his dad would be drunk with crazy lady here. He didn't know what I'd be doing. But here he wanted to share this most beautiful day with us. And, and he brought the princess and the frog with him. The princess sang. The frog played the guitar. And uh, while they're strumming away, Annie, this was in the 60s, and they lived close to the earth, you know. <laughs> and uh, while the frog's strumming and the princess is humming, Annie comes out of the pool house with what looked like a gunny sack to me, really. And uh, I thought, well, that's nice. It matches his tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and they had their own, they made their, canned their own salmon and they served it and there was no plastic. Everything was glass, you know, the environmental. And today, of course, they have vowed to the establishment. He's president of the company that he and Keith own. In fact, he left for Milan, Italy, Thursday, and Holland and Germany set up distributors today. So he was a kid who couldn't find both shoes on one given day. And it's amazing, you know, what, what they do, how they turn out. And then there's Kyle. Well, Kyle was born. He was so fat and so cute and so sweet and so much fun. We should have had him stuffed when he was about nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> now it was downhill. <laughs> you know, someone told me once, an alcoholic will steal your money, admit it, and pay you back. A dope addict will steal your money, deny it, and help you look for it. <laughs> and that was Kyle. I learned to sleep with my purse. I learned to keep my valuables safe. And I learned it, you know, through experience. 
And one day Keith and I said, Kyle, you can't live here anymore. You have to move to Las Vegas. And he was in AA in Las Vegas for three years and doing well. But you know, unfortunately, Kyle is not an alcoholic. And I say unfortunately because I don't understand the disease that he has. He's just not an alcoholic. He never drank. He never got drunk in his life. But uh, he is a dope fiend. But today he's clean and sober and married and doing very well. And so, you know, in God's time it happens. And Keith and I have um, really in the last 34 years have learned a lot about ourselves. We have a good life today. And I take him coffee and he brings me coffee. Makes me a milkshake every night. And little things like that. You know, we make the bed together in the morning. And things like that that helped our relationship work. So people say, well, you know, why did you stay? I stayed because, I don't know, I think I was afraid to leave. I was afraid of, of being alone with my kids because I was raised in a divorced family. But I stayed because I loved him, and I'm so happy that I did because the man that I was married to him is not the man. Because when Keith was drunk, he was the same person that he is today. He just didn't do the right thing. When I came to Al-Anon, I had a lot of ideas of what I was going to do and be. And, you know, I had a list of things that I wanted. Well, today I have those things that I wanted. But I also have the other things, too, that Al-Anon gives us. I have a gift of serenity and calmness about me today that I didn't have. It used to spin around in my head. And uh, Keith was asked to be the chairman of the first marathon ever in New Orleans. And uh, so we went down there on Thursday night. We blew up 3,000 balloons and we put them in the ceiling of the Sheraton Hotel. We set up 3,000 chairs and those chairs were full every night, all day and all night for the three days of, of the convention, the international convention. And Sunday morning they took the candle over from the Sheraton over to the Superdome. And I was sitting in the Superdome with his sponsor, my sponsor, and I looked up on the stage and there stood Keith and thought, how did he get here? How did we get here? Two young kids from Bakersfield to the Superdome with 40,000 people. And then I looked at the theme of that conference and the theme of that conference is the joy of living. And I've had more than my share. Thank you. Thank you.